Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Going back to John 4. John 4. This is part 7 in our series, True Worshippers. God is seeking these true worshipers. He's looking for them. Why? Two reasons. Anybody remember why he's looking for these true worshipers? He, well, to be a true worshiper, you got to worship him in spirit and truth. So let's do some review. Let's help you out. Why is he looking for true worshipers? What? He wants us to know him. He wants us to live like him. That's why he's trying to find true worshipers. Because when you look at what a true worshiper is, I'll just give them to you up front. We'll remind you all through this service tonight, since it'll probably be the last one on this to remind you. As we're about to read in John 4, he says a true worshiper is one who worships God in spirit and in truth. So how do we do that? To worship God in spirit, he goes on to tell you there, God is spirit. In the very context of John 4, as he's talking to this woman at the well at Sychar, the whole issue that he addressed an aspect of what she brought up about worship, it's not where you do it, and it's not about what you're worshiping, it's about who. I'm going to say that again. It's not where you do it. It's not about what you do. It's about who you're worshiping. The Samaritans, it was about where. It was at that very place where Jacob had drugged the well. For the Jews, it was about what? What did they worship? They knew the scriptures. They knew the law, and they added many of their own laws to it. So for them, what were most of them actually worshiping? The law. Paul reveals that to you even in his own life, Philippians chapter 3. Both were wrong. Say both were wrong. Why? Because a true worshiper, their focus is on what? Worshiping God. Worshiping God. So to worship God in spirit means simply this. It's all about Him. It's not about some religious exercise you go through. It's not about the aspect of where you're at. You can do it anywhere, anytime in relationship to your life. It should be a daily thing of what you're doing to worship God. We also learned that a worshiper doesn't mean one who just goes around and sings to God. Doesn't mean that you couldn't do that, but the context of a worshiper is not referring to singing, although that would be an expression of our worship. But the word worship has three definitions to it, meaning that we do what? We adore God, magnify God, love Him to the highest degree. That's worship. Well, you could do that with another person rather than God. Many have. You can do that with things in the world. So you're not, I don't, I don't you know, I've known people literally who honestly worship different aspects of lifestyle, worship different aspects of things they owned, etc. I didn't see them singing to their cars, but I knew they loved them. I knew they adored them. I never did. I never, maybe they did. I don't know. But I never saw anybody that had a classic car go out and start singing to them, you know. But I've seen people that made that an act of worship, which would be a form of an idol. So you and I are only supposed to have worship for one being, and that's God. That's how you worship him in spirit. He's the focus. He's the focus. You come to church because of him. You don't come to church as an act of worship like I got to go to church. Or open your Bibles and read scripture every day. You do it because of him. 
The second side of worship is, he said, you got to worship me in truth. Let me back up. If I worship him in spirit and he's the focus, I'm accomplishing the first goal of what he's looking for, which is all about what? Relationship, getting to know him. So if he's the priority every day, that relationship's going to be obvious. I am going to get to know him every day. That's what he wants with every one of us. Are you listening? Number two, we got to worship him in truth, which means we become like him. How do we worship him in truth? I'm going to simplify it for you tonight. Become one with the word. Become one with the word. Now, when I say one with the word, guys, I'm not talking about like, oh my gosh, I got to make sure I do everything the Bible says. No, as I'm going to show you tonight, as I did not have a chance to finish on Wednesday night, I'm going to show you what it means to become with the word by receiving it with meekness. By receiving it with meekness. But I got to go back here to these foundation verses since this is our last seri- part in this series to so at least remind you about these verses. If you're with me in John 4, 23, say amen. amen. Verse 23, but the hour is coming, Jesus said, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father. Again, in spirit, meaning the Father is the focus. And in truth, that means they will become one with the Word. Why? I'm going to show you in a minute. For the Father is seeking such to do what? Worship Him. So the Father's seeking for those who what? Adore, magnify, and love Him to the highest degree. And they also do the same in relationship to His Word because He and His Word are one. He and His Word are one. So the basis of what our worship in truth is all about is relating to the Word of God, as we'll see in a minute. 24, God is a spirit. And again, those who worship Him must do what? Worship in spirit. And in truth, go to John 17. John 17, you're a good church. Come on, you can get through some verses with me tonight. John 17, good to get your eyes on them just to be reminded of them so you don't ever forget these verses. In John chapter 17, verse 16, how many know what John 17 was? John 17, very good. John 17 was a prayer of Jesus to God the Father. For who? Me and you. For all his disciples and all who would come to know Jesus, if you've ever wanted to know, has Jesus ever prayed for me? Yes. Can I read that prayer? Yes. This is it. John 17. He prayed this for all of us that would come to know him through the disciples. In this prayer, verse 16, he says, they, talking about us, say that'd be me. The they here is us. We need to find ourselves in the Bible. They are not, notice this, they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. Say I'm not of the world. Well, it seems like I kind of am still pastor. No, it's talking about your spirit man. Your spirit man is not of the world because they didn't come anything from the world, came from God. 17, sanctify them from what? The world. How? By your truth. What is his word? Truth. Truth. So this is the key of what we focus on, learning how to worship God in truth. The basics of which we worship God in truth is based off of one thing and one thing only, the word of God. You worship God in truth by recognizing that truth is the word. And I don't have time to go there, but if you go back to John chapter 1, you'll find out that Jesus is that word. So again, God and the word are one. John 1.14 clearly says the word became flesh, dwelt among us. So when we, work, when we understand that we are actually adoring the Bible, not the book, the scriptures in it, when we adore the word, when you and I magnify the word, when we love the word to the highest degree, what are we really doing? We're adoring God, we're magnifying God, we're loving God to the highest degree because this is him. He and his word are one. 
And his word is truth. Amen? Amen. Go with me, please, to Mark chapter 7. We looked at Matthew's account of this. I want to show you another perspective from Mark about this very issue of what happens with man-made traditions that hinder people in worshiping God in truth. Mark chapter 7. So we looked at this in Matthew's account. Tonight we're going to look at it in Mark's account because you always get a little different perspective from somebody else who's actually talking about the same subject but maybe adding a couple little nuggets of truth in here that maybe the other person didn't see. Mark chapter 7, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not, say oh me. Good, everybody's there. Verse 1. Then the Pharisees, <clears throat> Pharisees were the, were the strictest religious sect of the day, of people that you would look at from an external perspective and say, man, these guys must really know God. Sadly, they didn't. But they were very strict in most of the aspects of the law. The Pharisees, notice some of them and some of the scribes, they came together to him having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is unwashed hands, they found fault. Now realize this, the Bible doesn't say if you eat something without washing your hands, your hands are defiled. Guess who said that? The Pharisees did, not God. Now, it's okay to wash your hands. It's probably advisable to wash your hands. <clears throat> but in their case, they didn't have like a place to stop everywhere, right? They didn't, they didn't have, you know, uh, they didn't have the little bottles today of the uh, sanitizer in their pocket, you know. They didn't have a place to stop and wash their hands all the time. So they're all upset that his disciples and them are eating without washing their hands. Verse 3, for the Pharisees, say the Pharisees. Notice this, God didn't establish this, the Pharisees did. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands in a special way. Where'd that come from? Holding the tradition of the elders. So were they actually eating with, uh, with uh, defiled hands? No, they were not. But the Jews and the Pharisees of the day say, if you don't wash your hands before you eat, not only are your hands defiled, then what you're eating is defiling you. Defiling meaning what? Now you're actually been defiled by some act of sin. But that's not the case. This was all based on, again, Lotus, bottom, part of, bottom part of verse 3, the tradition of the elders. This didn't come from God. Verse 4, when they, now kids don't go tell your mom, see God, God said I don't have to wash my hands. <laughs> Moms, dads, you tell, it's still good to wash your hands. I've seen where your hands have been. It's so good to wash your hands. Any amens on that? I thought Kathy had shouted him in on that one. Verse 4, when they, notice this, when they came, excuse me, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat, Pharisees and the scribes, the Jews. They do not eat unless they wash. But they have to wash it a certain way. And they can't just wash their hands like normal. I don't have time to go through all that rigmarole. But they even had a specific way in which they did it. Or it was considered that it really wasn't still right or done right. All of which was a tradition they made up. Notice again, verse 4. So they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash, and there are many other things. Say many other things. <clears throat> there are many other things which they, they, not God, they have received and hold like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Now that just doesn't mean you shouldn't wash your dishes because God says you don't have to. This is simply saying they had to wash them in a certain way. 
It's not just about washing them. It's about doing it a certain way. And if you didn't do it a certain way, again, that, that actual uh, you know, picture you're using or vessel you're using is defiled. Not true in the eyes of God. Verse 5, the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? At least they had enough sense to say the tradition of the elders. Right. Not what God said because God didn't say it. <clears throat> so why do they not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat bread with unwashed hands, Jesus answered. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? I'll guarantee you they didn't expect to hear that answer. <clears throat> so I, this is from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied, well, of you is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is what? Now, sadly, that's true of a lot of believers today. And I don't mean intentional. I don't believe the Pharisees intentionally wanted their hearts far from God. I don't believe that for a minute. And I believe a lot of Christians today, oh, I don't uphold all kinds of washing of this has to be done. Listen, there's other issues to deal with we're going to talk about tonight in worshiping God in truth. But you got to realize that unless it came from God, say this, unless it came from God, say, this, say, say it after me, unless it came from God, it's not gospel. So it's only gospel if it comes from God. It's only truth if it comes from God. Another way to say it. Right? Sanctifying by your word, your word is truth. So what they're talking about here isn't sanctifying them from some act of sin because God never said these things. Notice what else Jesus said. Verse 7, and in vain they do what? Worship. What do they do? Worship. Well, they think they're worshiping me. A lot of Christians think they are. They think they're worshiping me, but Jesus said, you're doing it in vain. In other words, your acts of worship are worthless. You're not going to get any benefit out of this. You're not, why? Because you're not truly worshiping God the way God said to. In vain they worship me, notice this, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of what? Of men. Teaching his doctrines. Doctrines are sound teaching relating to what the Bible tells us, sound doctrine is, in the church of what God teaches us. What they did is they brought all these additional things that they now claimed you had to do, and they are making a doctrine out of it. And saying, you must do this if you're going to wash, uh, excuse me, if you're going to eat with uh, undefiled hands, you've got to wash a certain way. If you're going to eat and use these vessels for food, you've got to wash them a certain way. Or otherwise, they're defiled. So they're doing all this based on what they said, not what God said. Verse 8. Now, I want you to get all hung up on that. Just listen to this. For laying aside the commandment of God. What is the commandment of God? Real simple. Can I simplify it? What did God say? What did God say? He's telling them, you, by your traditions, thinking somehow you're doing a service to God, are literally laying aside what God actually said. Because you're thinking of something that God didn't even say, and thinking somehow that makes you closer to God. Your worship's in vain. You're not getting closer to God. So you, he said, laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. What do they hold? Guess what we don't want to go by? Are you ready? What you think, what I think, what any bit of any aspect of bit of man thinks, Amen. or any aspect of what even the world thinks in relationship to God, or what God says, or what God uh, you know proclaims or declares about me and you. So he says clearly. He said, "You hold this tradition." He goes on to say of the washing of pitchers, cups, many other things you do, but they're doing so laying aside what what God said. Verse 9, he went on to say, all too well, you reject the commandment of God. Put it in simpler terms of what he's telling them. You reject what God actually said. 
You're rejecting what God actually said. And in this case, he's going to address one of the Ten Commandments that they've laid aside for their little traditions. He said, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep what? You may keep your tradition, what you believe, what you think. Ten, for Moses said what in the Ten Commandments of the law? Honor your father and mother. And he said, he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. How many of you know that's been brought over in the New Testament, by the way? I said, how many of you know that's been brought over in the New Testament? Are we, now that we're under the New Testament, we don't have to honor father and mother anymore? Oh, no. We're still supposed to honor our father and mother. Notice verse 11. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, notice this. Whatever profit you might have received from me is korban. They made that phrase up. Korban, that is meaning a gift to God. So in other words, whatever I would have normally helped you with, I can't give to you because all that I have in a way of profit to me now is something that I give to God as a gift to God. We label it korban, therefore I don't have to honor my father and mother any longer by taking care of them. So they're making the commandment of God of what? No effect. How? By what they believe. I want you to get this. I want you to listen carefully. Moving on, verse 11, he, he goes on to or verse 12. Then notice this. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Underline this phrase in verse 13, please. Making the word of God of no effect to your tradition. Guess what you don't want to do? Make the word of God of no effect. Why? What is the purpose of the effect of the word of God? Sanctify them, Father, by your truth. What does it do? It sets you apart. What does it set you apart from? The world. Who's the God of this world? Satan. What is the Bible doing then? Setting you apart from Satan's grip. As we're about to see again in a minute, the book of John, chapter 8, it also does what then? Sets you free. Amen. So pretty obvious to see why the devil doesn't want you going by what God says. Because if you go by what God says, what's that going to do? That's going to separate you from him. If I'm separated from the devil, guess what I look like, Jesus? Yes. Guess what I look like, the Lord? Come here, Justin. Come help me real quick. Justin's a really tall, cool, big guy, so I can use Justin as a great example. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Stand up here in front of me. All right. Let's say I am one with Justin, right? Yeah. And you're coming from the front. Guess what you won't see? Me. Guess what you're going to see? Justin. Praise the Lord. Don't mess with Justin. <laughs> oh, look. He said that's true. <laughs> right? So re him representing the word, Jesus, my God, yeah. guess what you don't want to mess with? My God. Yeah. What if I'm one with the word? Then people won't see me. Right. I don't want them to. What do I want them to see? I want them to see my God. Right. What if I'm not one with the word? What if I'm not doing what the word says? If I'm, you're good. You're, if I'm not one with the word, then guess what? You can see me. And instead of seeing my Jesus, all you're seeing is the human part of me. But if I'm one with the word, you don't see that human part of me. Guess what you see? You see my God. And that's when you start looking like Jesus, when they see your God in you. Can I get a better amen? So again, what's the reason that he's looking for us as true worshipers to worship in truth? If I'm worshiping him in truth, I'm not going by anything. You ready for this? But what the word of God says. Not just in what I do. Hang on. And if I'm one with that word and I'm actually walking in unity with that word, then if I'm unified with that word, how am I worshiping God in truth? Because when I'm magnifying, come on, what I'm adoring, 
what I'm loving to the highest degree, his God, which is his word. And in doing so, guess what happens? People now see him. So two reasons he wants us to be true worshipers, in spirit, because therefore I'm going to get to know him. In truth, because now you're going to see him. Are you listening to me? This is God's total modus operandi through all of the Bible. He's always wanted people to know him, and he's wanted people to obviously therefore have us go and make him known. Amen? If we know him, wonderful. But he also wants us to go make him known. He wants other people other than just you to know him. And if you show up and they see you, guess who they're not going to come to know? Him. Him. Can I get a better amen? This is why it's so critical to worship God in spirit. Because if I worship God in spirit, I become one with God. And if I become one, in essence, with the word, they don't see as much of me. They see Jesus. That's a good thing. And this fulfills what God wants for a true worshiper. Can I get a better amen? Amen. Say, don't mess with Justin. Thank you, Justin. Give him a good hand. Praise the Lord. See, I had to have somebody big enough like God, you know, stand up there and, you know, so you don't see me. Praise the Lord. So, again, very clearly he says in verse 13, you are making the word of God of no effect. How many know the word's powerful? Living. Has power in it. How many know it's anointed? I said, how many know it's anointed? I love something. This uh, one young man at, at, uh, we we got to watch because it was last Wednesday. We couldn't be there. Mylon's going home services, memorial service. There was a young guy there that he actually had worked with to write songs and stuff. And this guy's a songwriter in his own right. And one time he asked Mylon, he said, Mylon, how do you get such anointed songs? He said, it's easy. The word's anointed. Sing the word. You got anointed song. Not hard. He said, now you're going to come up with your own stuff. That's a different deal. But God's word's already anointed. It's already got the anointing on it. So if you sing the word, you got an anointed song. It's not hard to figure out. Amen? Amen. Well, guess what? That word's still anointed. What's that mean? God's power is on it. God's presence is on it. Am I going to get any good amens tonight? Why do we want to be one with the word? Guess what you're going to become? A glorious church. You're going to become a God-filled church. Because you're going to look like Jesus. And that's why the Father wants us to worship him in truth. But if we go by anything other than what God says, you ready? About who I am. I shared part of this in another aspect of the message I had this morning. If I go by anything about me other than who God says I am, what God says I have, and what God says I can do, I'm not one with the word. I'm one with what I think or what my parents thought about me. Some of us are still living under the old belief of what our parents thought about us. What they said we were or what they said we would become. You better go by what God says you are and what God says you can become. Amen. Not faulting any parent. I'm just explaining the fact that in some cases it does, it does happen. I grew up with parents that were pretty positive even though not real godly. I didn't get a lot of negative things told to me as a kid like I couldn't make it, etc., etc. But sadly some do. And guess what? That gets ingrained in their thinking. So you think about all the aspects. Can anybody here think about something today that you were raised in, relationship to the church you went to, preacher you had, or even from a perspective of stuff you heard in the world about God, about relationship with God or whatever, that you now know is not true? Anybody got something like that in your life? Tell me, what is it? Just that we have to be perfect. Got to be perfect. 
God, God to live perfect with God. If you want to experience what God has for your life, boy, you got to live a perfect life. Well, none of us could do that. Right? That's why Jesus came. I said, that's why Jesus came. In essence, we're not earning anything Jesus gave us. He already gave it to you. We're just receiving it. Anybody else? Yeah. God brought this bad thing on you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Man, God must have a reason for this sickness. God must have a reason for you losing your job. Because you know everything happens for a reason. So God must be behind it. Now, listen, man, that'd be like saying again, well, God's behind every single person that gets blown up by a bomb. God's behind every person that gets hit by a drunk driver. If you say that God's behind everything and it all happens for a reason, well, you got to be all inclusive then. You can't just cut certain things out and say, well, that's not true. How do you know? Well, the whole point is, it's a total lie. Man reaps what he sows. Book of Galatians. Go reap what you sow. Now, I know some people that didn't sow stuff that they've reaped, but in essence, they actually still did. They don't think they did. I didn't reap towards anything bad, but I wound up in a bad situation, bad thing, bad happened. Well, that actually is a form of still reaping. It's not actually sowing the right things. It's not sowing the things you need to, to be able to be aware of what God wants for your life. So understand this. When we talk about the traditions of men tonight, how many want to be a worshiper in, in, uh, in truth? So to be a worshiper in truth, i got to become one with the word. You ready? Which means I only think about my life as it relates to what God says I am, I have, and I can do. Anything that comes to me contrary to who God says I am, to what God says I have, or what God says I can do, I've got to reject that. If I don't reject that, I will not become one with the truth. I will not become one with the Word. Because you and I, again, as a born-again child of God, Jesus praying for us in John 17, can be sanctified, set apart from living like the world. I don't have to think like the world. You don't have to think like the world. You don't have to think like the old you. Because your thoughts aren't God's. Do you have thoughts? Do you have thoughts? Now, this is powerful when you learn this. Our pastor taught us this years ago. This is great to understand from a perspective of a believer who's born again who knows I'm a spirit being. Okay? When a contrary thought to any aspect of what you know is not of God comes to you, question, is it your thought? It is not your thought. Didn't come from your spirit man. Your spirit man's perfect. He don't create such thoughts. You listening? Now some of that could be your carnal flesh, right? But ultimately, where did it come from? Where did his ultimate source originate from? Satan. Because if there would have never been no fall, there'd have been no such things in the planet. So you gotta understand contrary thoughts to what God says ultimately have their root. I'm not telling you a demon standing there talking to you. I'm explaining to you that a thought contrary to what God says, its ultimate root comes from where? Satan. And thus it needs to be rejected. So part of which, I'm going to teach this to you, more detail, part of which we talk about in relationship to receiving more of the help God has for us from heaven, more grace, you got to submit to God. And in doing so, you got to resist the devil. How do I submit to God? I take his word. I take him at his word for who he says I am. I don't care how I feel. I don't care what anybody else tells me. If God says I'm more than a conqueror, it don't matter if it looks like I'm the greatest failure on the planet. I don't go by that. You know what I go by? What did God say about me? 
well, that just can't be true if you're failing. Well, you're going to keep failing if you keep thinking you're a failure. Because as a man thinks, so is he. So you've got to change thinking relationship to yourself of who you are to line up with God's word. You've got to change what God says you have. God doesn't say you're going to get healing one day. He says you already have it. God doesn't say you're going to get provision one day. He said he's already given it. God doesn't say you're going to be redeemed one day. He says you already are. But as long as you allow any form of a contrary thought to come to you, contrary to what? The truth. The truth. And you accept it and you allow it to continue to be a part of what you speak and actually live out in your life. Guess what you're not actually doing? You're not becoming a worshiper in truth because you're not becoming one with the word. What about what God says you can do? I got to believe that what God says I can do, I can do. If God told me that I can cleanse myself of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, guess what? I can cleanse myself. Why would he tell me to do something that I can't do? Now, I might have an area like I shared with these people this morning. I might have a stronghold to deal with, and I might need God's help with that area. But thank God I can get his help, and I got weapons to help me deal with it. But to say I can't get free from something is to go contrary to the word. And if you go contrary to the word, guess what you're not doing? You're not becoming one with the truth. And if you do that, verse 13, you're making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, what you think. What you uphold, what you believe, contrary to what God said. Which, he said, you've handed down, and many such things you do. See, this is the problem with all these stupid, stinking thoughts that the devil brought into the world through other people and through other aspects of what he could do to get control of people's minds, and even especially religious people. If you think about it, where in the world do people get the idea that something bad happens to them must be God, and God must have a reason for it? Where do you think they learn that? Now, guess where that ultimately started? In a pulpit. Some minister, not ordained by God, or not walking in the light of the truth, started conveying to people. I mean, go talk to a sinner who's never heard a sermon or even anybody talk about that. And ask him, do you think you would be a, have a good God who would make you sick? Well, no. Well, then why do people believe it? Because somewhere they heard it, and it began in a pulpit. Began through false teaching. That gets out into the world. Some people pick up on it that are even sinners. Start believing it. Come on, man. Why in the world do we have... Go look at your insurance policy. If you look at your insurance policy on like a home, example, and it actually talks about what it covers, what's part of what it covers? Acts of God. What a blasphemous statement about our God. You listening? Well, God brought hell in the Old Testament not to, not to damage somebody's home so they have to call the insurance agent and have their home fixed. You listening? He brought it form of judgment against Pharaoh and other people, but that was to wipe them out. That wasn't to damage their shingles on their roof. Are you still here? How about tornadoes? Act of God. No, they're not. Which, by the way, if you look at every disruption in the earth system of what we have of weather patterns today, do you know why that is so? Because of sin, because of the fall. It all attributes again back to Satan because none of that was happening before the fall. God created a perfect world. So understand it's ultimately, but isn't it amazing how Satan has duped people through traditions and lies to get them to believe that it's God and even call it an act of God. 
But you and I got to recognize what the Bible says if we're going to worship God in truth. Why are we wanting to worship God in truth? So I can live like him. Come on. So I can live like him. So I can live a life like Jesus. This ain't hard to figure out because if I'm not a worshiper of truth and I believe all these bad things happen for a reason, guess what I'm opening the door up for in my life? Bad things to happen. Because I'm assuming some of that's God and therefore obviously if it happens in my life, God must have had a reason so I just have to accept it and the devil says, yeah, yeah, you just gave me opportunity to bring more stuff to you. Who comes and steals, kills and destroys? Satan does. Who comes to give us life and that more abundantly? Black and white. Where do you find that? John 10.10, dividing line of the Bible. I mean, so many people have such a dim view of the Father, and you know why? It's because they've never taken time to live in the four Gospels. Why do we need to live in the four Gospels? Jesus said, have you seen me? I don't see Jesus bringing hail on anybody to damage their roof. I, don't, I see Jesus rebuking storms, not causing them. Amen. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. So if I am not one with the Word, I'm not walking in a position of adoring, come on, magnifying and loving to the highest degree God's Word, what's hindering me from doing that? My false beliefs, my traditions that came from some other place relating to family, church, friends, whatever. And how is that affecting me as a worshiper? I'm not able to draw near in relationship to become one with the word with the truth. And if I'm not going to walk in the light of the truth, guess who I'm not going to look like? God. Guess what I'm not going to live like? God. But you can. I like a little more enthusiasm. This is not my good guy Sunday morning crowd. I would like a little more enthusiasm about something like that. You can live like God. You can live like Jesus. The greatest verse in all the Bible that tells you so is John 14, 12. Jesus said, you believe in me, the works, basically, the lifestyle that I live, you can live also. God wants you living like his number one son as his sons and daughters. He don't want you living a less life than Jesus. He wants you living the same kind of life. Any good amens on that? Did Jesus face storms? Yes, he did. Did Jesus face challenges? Yes, he did. Did he face persecution? Yes, he did. Did he overcome it all? Yes, he did. Can you? Yes, you can. But the devil don't want you to. He wants to keep you under his control. Thus, he wants you worshiping what? Some false belief. Some lie. Some some man-made tradition. So we could go around the room forever and go through stuff like this, but I'm glad to know the truth, aren't you? Because 13 says again, you still here? Notice Mark 7, 13, these traditions of men make the word of God of no effect. They literally neutralize the power of God. I did a teaching years ago. I'd love to find it. I don't think I still have it. I did a teaching years ago. There's something more powerful than the word. Oh, you should have seen the looks I got the first Sunday I got up and said, I'm going to teach you today there's something more powerful than the word. That's blasphemy, pastor. No, Jesus just told you what it was. Your tradition make the word of God of no effect. It really doesn't have more power than the word, but it will neutralize the power of the word. Not good. Not good. So it has an ability to stop the power of God's word working. Now go with me, please, to John 8. You're still with me, aren't you? What do we not want to go by? So don't just think of the phrase, 
core man, well, I'm going to honor my father and mother. Listen, the whole purpose of those verses is to understand. If you're going to worship God in truth, you got to do what? Become one with the word, meaning anything that comes to me. I'm going to say this about 50 times tonight. Anything that comes to me contrary to who God says I am, what God says I have, what God says I can do, I got to get rid of that. I got to deal with that and get rid of that. Because if I get rid of that, I'm going to become one with the truth. And if I become one with the truth, I'm now what? I'm a worshiper in truth. Because I'm now doing what? I'm magnifying the truth. I'm adoring the truth. Don't you love the Bible? I'm deeply in love with God's word because God's word and here are one. So this is what Jesus talks about again in John 8, 31. Jesus said to those Jews who did what? So there were Jews that believed in him. There were Jews that had faith in him. Nicodemus did, came by night, but he did. He still believed in him. So notice this. The Jews that believed in him, Jesus said to them, not all to the religious folks that didn't believe in him. He just said to those that believe in him. Why would he not say it to the rest? It wouldn't do him any good. But to those who believed in him, raise your hand if you've believed in him. Let me see your hand really high. All right, so this is for you. He said, if you believe in me, watch this, if, circle, highlight, underline the word if. Because when Jesus starts a statement with the word if, there's a condition involved. We're not earning anything, folks. I'm going to keep reminding you this phrase that the Holy Spirit gave me years ago. Never forgot it. Never will. You are not earning anything from God by living out what the Bible says you can live. You're not earning it. You're learning. You're learning. You're learning how to walk in what God gave you. Did God already give you an inheritance? Are you an heir of God? Are you a joint heir of Jesus? Are you actually one who has been given the right to walk in the blessings of God in this life? Did Jesus himself become poor so you could become rich? Did the Bible not tell me and you that we've been redeemed from all of the curse of the law? You know what most Christians don't know? This will shock you. This will shock you. Ask a believer that you know. Tomorrow at work or sometime this week, ask a believer, are you redeemed? Now, most of them will probably say, oh, yeah, I'm redeemed. Ask them the second question. Ready? What are you redeemed from? You know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear something that's unbiblical. Doesn't line up with the Bible. You know what they're going to tell you? What will most people say if you ask? I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. But if you ask most people, are you redeemed? Oh, if they know about redemption, oh, yeah, I'm redeemed. What are you redeemed from? What are they going to tell you? What's the average person going to tell you? It's a Christian. Okay, redeemed from hell. What else? Huh? Sin. You know what most Christians say? Well, I'm redeemed from sin. You know the Bible didn't tell you that? <clears throat> you know the Bible didn't tell you you're redeemed from hell? Some of you looking at me like that calf, man. Uh, where'd this gate come from? Fred, you seen that one before? No, Henry, I've never seen that gate. That must be new, man. Our owner must have put that gate up there just to confuse us. I've been around this pastor, I don't know how many times. I've never seen that gate. you seen that gate? Some of you looking at me like that. Are you really sure about this? There ain't a verse in all the Bible. There's not a verse in all the Bible that says you're redeemed from sin or hell. Not one. You better know what you're redeemed from if you want to walk in your redemption. See, this is what we're talking about. To become one with the word, we can't go by what old tradition has taught us. We got to go by what the word of God says you are, what the word of God says you have, what the word of God says you can do. What does the word God say I can have in relationship to redemption? I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. 
What am I redeemed from? The curse of the law. Okay, so then what we got to do is ask, ask the question, what is the curse of the law? No problem. Go to Deuteronomy 28, not now. Go to Deuteronomy 28. Once you read through the first half, you'll start hitting a part of Deuteronomy 28 that's known as the curse of the law. This was a curse for not upholding the Old Testament law. And in that law, you studied out, there's three basic topics covered in the area of the curse. Those three topics are, one, spiritual death. Two, sickness and disease. Three, poverty and lack. What am I redeemed from? Now, if you said, I'm redeemed from spiritual death, not sin, spiritual death. Not the act of sin, spiritual death. I've been redeemed from a dead spirit. I've been redeemed from a spiritual death. I've been, re- and that's a whole other subject. I'd love to get into that and take about two hours to tell you. That involves your worth in God because you lost all that. But not after you got born again, you got it all back. So understand that I've been redeemed from what? I've been redeemed from spiritual death. That was separation from God. That was being able to get my value and worth from God, but I got it back. I've been redeemed from sickness and disease. Matter of fact, there's so many listed in there, but just in case you don't missed any, right? Deuteronomy 28, 61 even says, and every sickness and every disease not even listed in the law. So anything that comes down the pike, I don't care what it is. COVID-1, COVID-50, COVID-500. I don't care what it is. I'm redeemed. But see, you got you to gotta know and believe this to be one with the Word. To be a, if, and if you know this, guess what you're going to walk like? God. You're going to walk like Jesus. This stuff isn't going to overtake you. Because the truth is going to do what? Set you free. What else are you redeemed from? I'm redeemed from poverty and lack. How many of you ever heard in the church, oh, keep the preacher poor and you'll keep him humble? Anybody ever hear that? I guarantee you what, there ain't nobody that's ever been kept poor that's been humble biblically. They don't even understand humility. Most Christians don't understand Bible humility. What's Bible humility? You ready? I don't think of myself higher nor lower than who God thinks of me. I don't think of myself higher. I don't humble myself in the sense, excuse me, I don't uh, exalt myself above who God says I am, but I don't think of myself lower. That's a form of pride. To to belittle yourself is a form of pride because you're not seeing yourself as God sees you. Can I get a better amen? amen? This is the kind of stuff that's so critical for us to understand as a believer. Man, we got to know every little detail like this. No, as you continue to develop and grow, you just simply keep feeding on the Word, feeding on the truth, and lining your belief up with the truth of God's Word. And the more you do, the more you become one with the Word. And you're fulfilling John 8, 31. If you abide in my Word, you are my disciples indeed. So the phrase abide in my Word, most people just think God live in the Bible. Well, you're not going to abide in the Word if you don't live in the Bible. That's true. But the phrase abide in my word means become one with. To abide means become one with my word. What happens if you become one with the word? You shall know the truth. Most people think knowing the truth is getting something in your brain. But it's not. It's not. When that word comes alive in your spirit, man, and you become one with it, guess what you now know? Truth. Where does that knowing come from? Within your spirit, man. So if I will choose to simply abide in the word by doing what? Doing my part to become one with it. How do you become one with it? I'm going to tell you in just a minute. Then you shall know the truth and the truth to do what? 
Go to James quickly. Come on. Come on. I only got a couple more hours to go. And we'll be done. James chapter 1. Am I helping you all tonight? James chapter 1. Don't you love all the rabbit trails God throws in the mix? James chapter 1, verse 21. James 1, 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to do what? Save your souls. Your mind, will, and emotions. Your soul never got saved. I get it. There's an Old Testament verse. He who wins souls is wise. It's a horrible translation of the original Hebrew. The phrase that's used there in the Hebrew, he who wins a man's heart is wise. You can, excuse me, you can refer to the heart in one of two ways. It's the center of something. We talking about the ultimate heart of the, of the human being or we talking about the heart of their soul. There's sometimes the Bible refers to the heart of the soul, but that's not what that's referring to. That's referring to the heart of man. This is now even telling you, you don't get your soul saved by being born again. You get your soul saved by doing what? Receiving with meekness the engrafted word. You still with me? Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to do what? Save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only doing what? Deceiving yourselves. A doer simply means I get excited because when I find out what God says I can do, I start doing it. Why? That's who I am. Hallelujah. So notice this. We have to receive with meekness the implanted word. There it is. It's getting in the heart. As it gets in the heart, you're becoming one with the truth. You're becoming one with the truth. You begin to what? You'll begin to adore it. Listen, when you become one with the truth, here's another way to say it. Guess what? Revelation rises up. Guess what you do? You get excited. I heard a message I listened this morning before I went to a good guy's listening to Brother Hagin preaching while I was getting ready this morning. He talked about getting the revelation from God. See, most people are like, I don't understand why you get so excited. Then you don't understand revelation. He got the revelation from God. Sickness came from Satan, period. Amen. That's its source. That's where it came from. That became so real to him one night. He said, I got so excited about it. I was staying at another minister's house, ministering at their church. I got so excited about it. I was laying there in my bed and I was reading my Bible. I got so excited about it. I didn't want to wake them up. I jumped up and had a running spell. I couldn't, I couldn't stay in bed. So I closed my Bible, ran around the room, got so, went back, laid back down, said, Lord, I got to get to sleep. He said, I dozed off to sleep. 20, 30 minutes later, I started thinking about it again. I had to get up and take another running spell. Four running spells. Or one revelation of truth. That's, beca- that's called becoming one with the word. Amen. And you know what that does? It frees you from lies. It does. Frees you from deception. It's not in your head. It's in your heart. That's when you become one with the truth. But that word has to be received with what? Meekness. Meekness. So notice the first statement. <clears throat> Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. You can't keep mixing everything with the world in your life and mix the word of God and think the word of God is going to come alive in you. Not going to happen. Because all the world stuff you keep mixing in is doing what? It's causing impurities to get in your heart to affect your ability to receive revelation from that word. And that's why the Bible says, Proverbs 4, guard your heart as you're about to see. So you can't keep feeding on the worldly junk of this uh, obvious world in which we live in that's under the control of Satan and expect to get the word implanted in your heart. Say, I got to receive it with meekness. All right, write this down, please. Definition of that word. You ready? This will help us understand it. I'm going to go to one more verse. And I'm going to take about an hour to expound on that, and then we'll close. Meekness. One, 
who does not look to self. Ready? But reliance upon another. One who's not, who does not look to self, but reliance upon another. I'm not looking to me. In other words, I'm not relying on me. I'm relying on somebody else. Receive the word with what? Meekness. So guess what you're not doing? You're not relying on what your thoughts are about it. You're not relying on what you think about it. You know what you're doing? You're relying on what God said about it. Another way to say it, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's humility. That's meekness. So you're not going to argue with it. You're not going to reason with it. You know, listen, man, there's a lot of people, including myself, who at other at different times in your life, all of us have gone through this, where situations happen, person passes away, something happens, you know, with, even like my, you know, different things happen, and you're just like, doesn't the word work? See, what you're doing now is you're reasoning contrary to the word. Yes, it does work. Doesn't matter what happens to any individual on the planet, it doesn't change the word. God doesn't change. And the problem is our natural reasoning kicks in. And now we want to figure out why didn't that work? Why didn't this happen? Can I help you with everybody else's life in Christianity and on the planet? That's three of you. I'm going to help those three of you. You ready? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Did they do something wrong? Work out your own salvation. You got enough to deal with with you. Doesn't mean they may have done anything wrong. You don't know. You're going to try to figure it out? Let me help you. Work out your own self. All the devil's going to do by all that is try to get you in a position to start questioning the word. And here you go. You start questioning the word, you start going by somebody's experience. What you saw happen to somebody. Well, just because something happened to somebody doesn't mean now the Bible doesn't work. God's word isn't true. He, I know these preachers say God heals everybody, but I have to know so-and-so. They love God. They serve God. They walk with God, and yet they still died. It doesn't change the word. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to change your opinion of the word. Because if you're not one with the word, guess what you're not doing? You're not a worshiper in truth. And if you're not a worshiper in truth, you can't walk like God walked. Can't do it. Tell your neighbor, work out your own salvation. Leave mine alone. Come on, somebody. Tell somebody else, work out your own salvation. Point to somebody behind you. Say, you just work out your own salvation back there. Yeah, I'm going to work on my own. How many of you got enough to deal with with yourself? So, closing in Proverbs. Go to Proverbs 4. So, how do we receive the word of God with meekness. How do we do that? How do we receive it with this ability of, of total reliance upon God and nothing else? I want to make that statement again. So if I, relieve the, if I receive the, excuse me, if I receive the word of God with meekness, how do I receive it? With total reliance on him. I rely on him. If he said it, I'm relying on what he said. I don't care what anybody else said. I don't care what my circumstances say. I don't care what happened to Aunt Martha, Uncle Tom, you listening? My brother Bob or my friend whoever, you know, it, you, you got to understand this, that to understand and receiving the word of God with meekness means you have to recognize the significance of looking to that word as the only source of what you're relying on. Nothing else. Nothing else. You're not relying on what anybody else says, does, or whatever happens in life. You're relying on one thing. What are you, what are you relying on? What did God say? 
That's it. That's all I'm relying on. Easier than it, I guarantee you, sounds pretty easy. Easier than it is to actually walk out at times when your mind goes to reasoning and wants to argue with you about stuff that you just don't understand. Well, let me help you. You're not going to understand everything this side of heaven. Bible says now we see dimly, then we'll see face to face. Now we know in part, then we'll know as we're known. So quit thinking you're going to figure out everything this side of heaven. You're not. Become one with the word, you'll do really good. I said you'll do really good. How do we do that? Proverbs chapter 4 verse 20. Anybody ever seen these verses in this church? My son, that would be daughter too. What should I do? Give attention to my words. Now the phrase here, give attention to my words. Next statement, incline your ear to my sayings. You ready? Means listen to what God said about who you are, what you have, and what you can do. And nothing else. Nothing else. Yeah, but my body still hurts. Quit listening to it. Yeah, but my brother said, quit listening to him. Yeah, but this other preacher said, quit listening to him. If it's contrary to the word, you better stop listening to it. This is the problem with most Christians of why they don't actually worship God in truth. Meaning what? Total dependency on nothing but what God said, becoming one with the word. Why? Because they mix in. What did the Jews and Pharisees did? They mixed in traditions of others and it made the word of God of what? No effect. I wish that time, but James actually goes on to talk about this in chapter 4 and even mentions it back earlier that and that in chapter 1. In chapter 4, he tells us you have to purify your soul of all double-mindedness. Chapter 1, he says if you're double-minded, you'll receive nothing from the Lord. If you're double-minded, what are you not? One with the word. Because you're still seeing things, in, in a sense, the way the world sees them or somebody else while trying to see the things the way God sees them. Amen. If you keep trying to see what somebody else says and what the Word says, what your situation says and what God's Word says, you keep trying to compare these two, guess what you're going to stay? Double-minded. Guess what you're not going to become? One with the Word. And you're not going to be there for a worshiper in truth because you're not going to do what? You're not going to magnify that Word above somebody else's situation. You're not going to magnify that word above what somebody else told you that's famous. Well, my pastor, he just passes a small congregation. This guy's got millions. Okay, so what happened to the millions coming out of Egypt? Only two went into the promised land out of millions. The majority's right? No. What do we got to do? Does the word actually say that? Say it. Does the word... Actually, what am I looking at? What does the word say about me? What does the word say I have? What does the word say I can do? Once I know that, nothing else matters. If you want to become one with the word, nothing else matters. Everything else goes out the window. All the other thoughts kick them to the curb. Because to give attention to my words, verse 20, and incline your ear to my sayings means you turn your ear away from everything else. Verse 21, don't let them depart from what? Your eyes. That's just referring to the fact that you're focused again. Your laser locked on one thing. What does God say? Amen? Keep them where? Keep them where? Keep them where? The midst of your heart. Because if you keep them there, guess what happens? Again, you become one with that word. That truth then, abide in my word, become one with it, and guess what will happen? You'll know the truth. That truth to become revelation to your spirit, man. And guess what you'll do? Walk in liberty. Walk in freedom. 
Notice this. Keep them in the midst of your heart. How do I do that? I'm going to show you again in just a second. Verse 22. Because they're what? Life to those who find them. And they're even what? Come on, man. Health medicine to all, all, all. How much? All their flesh. 23. Underline it. Keep your heart with all diligence. In other words, what's another word for diligent? Help me out. Work hard at it. You're not earning anything. You're working at guarding your heart. How do you guard your heart? What are you listening to? Keep your heart with all diligence because out of it, say out of my heart. Watch this. Out of it, spring. The word spring was added. Out of it, the very issues of life come forth. In other words, the source of life, zoe, is going to come out of your heart, which is going to come from the Word of God. When the Word of God is kept in your heart and your heart takes hold of it, Guess what's going to be the result coming out in you? The Zoe life of God. Which now means what? I look like Jesus. I'm a worshiper of truth. So a worshiper of truth, to actually finish this off and simplify this, is not only one with the word, how do you get there? They receive the word with meekness. How do you receive it with meekness? You're dependent on one thing. What's meekness? I'm dependent on one thing. Come on, help me, church. I got to quit. I'm dependent on one thing. What am I dependent on? What did God say? Period. I don't want to know anything else. I don't want to know what my little brain's trying to tell me. Right? Come on, man. The disciples, they see Jesus perform a miracle and feed 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. And they get in the boat. And they're starting to go the other side. And Jesus said, now you boys beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And you know what they forgot to get before they got on the boat? Bread. And you know what they're thinking? Oh, man. He's upset because we didn't bring enough bread. We're going to have nothing to eat. He just fed over 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. And you're worried to think that he's upset that you didn't bring some bread on the trip? Are you kidding me? But what causes that? They're looking at something other. Come on than what God said. So you and I, to receive the word of God with meekness, guess what we don't do? We don't take anybody else's opinion into uh, consideration. We don't even take our own. How many know again, we got our own thoughts? Right? But your thoughts aren't God's thoughts. So they ain't God's thoughts. I ain't going by my thoughts. Right? You receive the word of God with meekness by relying. What's meekness again? Dependence on another. I'm dependent on one thing. Whatever that Bible says, that's what I depend on. That's it. I hope you got that point. To receive the word with meekness, what am I doing? I'm depending. The definition, you're depending on something else. I'm depending on one thing only. What did God say about it? Once I know what God said about me, who I am, guess what? I don't care what God says about me. You're an idiot. I don't care. I don't care what you say about me. It ain't what God says. Come on. You'll never amount to anything. Uh, that's, your, that's your opinion. It ain't God's opinion. I'm a child of God. Well, I don't think you're going to overcome this time. That's your opinion. It's not what God says. Come on, somebody. So you got to go by one thing. What did God say? And you want to know your biggest enemy to deal with in this area? You. You. Your own wrong, stinking thinking. To allow yourself to think stuff that you know is contrary to who God says you are. That you know is contrary to what God says you have. To know what's contrary, what God says you can do. Most of you in this church, man, you know this stuff. 
and yet you allow these thoughts in your mind to come, and all of a sudden you start meditating on them and thinking about them, and guess what? You start questioning the truth. Start questioning the word. And all you're going to do is disunite with the word and not walk in the liberty God has for you. Any good amens on that? Hallelujah. So how do you receive it with meekness? I'm dependent upon the word and nothing else. My reliance is upon what God said I am, what God said I have, what God said I can do. And if I make my subject of worship God, right? Not his church building, not of the people. Oh, I've had people come to my church. Well, I can't stay here. Why? I got no friends. Oh, I didn't know you were worshiping friends. You listening? I thought you were here to worship God. Well, no, I need friends. I need a lot of friends. I'm going to tell you why. Because you don't worship God. If you worship God, you'd have the best friend in your life. You'd never feel lonely. You'd never feel left out. He's with you everywhere. Even your natural friends can't go everywhere with you. You listening? And shouldn't. He'll be in the shower with you when you get up tomorrow. Come on, somebody. He'll be sitting at the breakfast table with you. He'll ride in your vehicle with you on the way to work. He'll hang out with you the whole time you're at work. he never leave you nor forsake you. But see, these are immature believers who are still allowing their carnal nature to rule them that I got to have friends. And I think most of them not intentionally. It's just where they've lived in relationship to believing things that aren't Bible, not biblical. Well, I feel so alone. I'm going to tell you why. Because you haven't drawn near to God. Because you're not alone. That's a lie. It's a lie to say, oh, I feel. Well, you're going by your feelings. You're walking by faith. You're going to go by feelings. If God said he'll never leave you nor forsake you and he's in you, is he lying about that? Well, no, but I just don't feel God. I'm going to tell you why, because you're trying to do it with your brain and you're trying to do it with your natural man. Quiet that man down and just focus on your spirit man and fellowship with God and you'll realize he's still there. And if you don't believe that's true, do something stupid and see if you don't feel convicted about it. And you'll find out pretty quick, he's still there. (laughs) Thank God. I said, thank God. Can I get a better amen? So be a true worshiper, and you'll enjoy great fellowship with the Father. He'll get to know you. You'll get to know him, and you'll also do what? You'll know the truth, and you'll look like him. And we'll live as little Christians, little Christians, little Christ followers on the planet, looking like our Jesus. Aren't you glad we can? Stand to your feet. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.